don't ever give up. Like you're gonna, you're going to stumble. You're gonna fail. Fail fast and fail forward. Just believe that you can do this. I mean, I, I think I'm the best case study for anything in the world. I, I came from a normal blue collar neighborhood, broken home, whatever. Mm-hmm. Street gangs, drug dealer. Like I literally was bad, bad dude when I was in like 17 through 20s. Yeah. Um, and I learned that I could change my life and I had control of it. So I don't have like a bunch of education. I didn't come from money. I didn't have a bunch of resources. I still figured this out. I'm still, I take care of my family. I support my family. I'm sure I have big goals and I want to do better and all that kind of stuff. But when I look back at where I was or where I could be, I mean, I, I probably should be in prison or dead. And if not, I probably would be working like a title company job making $38,000 a year. Yeah. I've done wholesale deals where I've made more money than that. So. What's up, everybody? I've got an amazing guest with me today. I've been trying to put this one together for like two years. It wasn't on Steve. It was on me. It was on me for not closing the loop. But I'm really excited to have uh, Steve Lundo on the episode of the Cast. Finally, I'm going to introduce him right now. But Steve, man, I appreciate the heck out of you taking the time and hopping on here with me. Hey, man, thanks for having me. It's been, Yeah, it's been a long time coming. We've been kind of chatting and texting back and forth about this for probably two years or so now. So I'm, <laughs> I'm happy while. to be here. I remember the first time we connected on the phone, I was driving up uh, in the Oregon Gorge. I, I don't remember where I was going up there, but we were chatting. And uh, Adrian, a uh, you know, mutual friend of ours, and he works for Carrot, he just been telling me about you for so many for so long. It's like, man, I've been working with Steve, and here's the results he's getting, and and uh, and finally we connected a couple of years ago, and it's just it's been fun, man. It's been fun. So I'm I'm excited to pull apart your story a little bit, uh, and really help people help people see how you've grown your business the way you've grown it, the, the different moves you've made. But also, right before we hit record, we were talking about some of the struggles that that you as an experienced investor are currently having in your, in your market. Which the cool thing is, it's very common right now. And there's, there's some things that are working to get out of it. So um, let's go ahead and dive in, man. The first thing I would like to kind of pull apart is let's set context for people. Let's set context for people for uh, where do you live? Um, I, I always like to know, too, what's your family situation like? You have kids, you're married. And then the last thing, so where do you live? And then let us know a little bit about your business, okay? What sure. is your business model? Maybe what's your current volume? Things like that. Yeah, so uh, I live in Michigan. Uh, most of my investing is in Metro Detroit. I actually live a little further north of the city. So like, like Trevor, I live in a nice uh, kind of scenic view. I don't quite have the, quite the same beauty that you have there, but I'm surrounded by woods, um, state land. I've got 10 acres of land. So that's, that's pretty cool. Once I went from the city up there, that was like hard to turn back from. So oh, man. Um, married with five kids. It's one of those yours, mine and ours situations. We have, uh, I have one from a previous relationship. She has um, three and then we have one together. So cool. Ranging from ages from 10, he just turned 10 uh, two days ago, to 23, I think Mariah is. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, all, all through, the, mostly teenagers. The boys are 16, 17, and 18. Okay. Um, so that's fun. You had a bunch of teen- teenagers in the house. I'm not yeah. there yet, man. I'm They're all good. Four, six, and eight. And I've heard, that, I've heard that those years, like 13 to 18, definitely shift a little bit, but they come back to you in the 20s, I heard. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our boys have been really, really good, though. They're all yeah super smart and they've been involved in uh, robotics and stuff. So that's been a huge thing for them. Yeah. So my business, I mean, I'm mostly a wholesaler. Um, I do some flips. I've owned rentals before. 
Um, I've done like non-performing notes back in the day. I did uh, some bulk purchases of that and we did some workouts and then we had to wholesale some of those. Uh, when I first got into real estate investing, it was um, short sales. So back like 06, I started doing short sales. I did that very heavily through 20, uh, 2009, excuse me, 2010, 11. It was really a lot of short sales. And then around the middle of 2011, we uh, sort of transitioned into the non-performing note buying, which was basically a shortcut to a short sale, right? Instead of going through the bank, we bought the actual asset from the bank. Uh -huh. Then could work out the loans however we felt like at that point we could foreclose on the loan we could do a loan modification or do a short sale if some other buyer came in to the picture and we did all of the above so that was really interesting um that started to get pretty deep and serious with you know suit and ties and trips to manhattan and <laughs> and that's not me at all so yeah. i started to i started to shy away from that a little bit and uh in 2013, we had a, a personal thing at home. We had um, some black mold, so it's uh, called Stachybotrys. It's like the black mold of black mold. We had that in our house, and we had to like move out for several months, gut the basement. Uh, we actually had to move about six hours away. A friend of mine, thankfully, owned a, a lake house, and he was going to have his first child. So they weren't using it that summer. It was kind of just sitting there. He's like, man, please move into it. Um, we stayed there for like two and a half months. And the, the point is, it took me away from my business, but it was a blessing, really, because um, that partnership was really kind of strained already anyways. It wasn't healthy. The business wasn't for me. I, like it was, I didn't feel energized by it. I felt the opposite. I was dragged down by it. I dreaded going to the office every day. Yeah. So I started wholesaling just to survive, just to start making some money. Um, and I joined uh, Tracy Kaywood's Property Mob back in like 2013. And that's how I met Adrian. Oh, cool. And he was on me almost from the beginning, like, oh man, you, have you heard of Carrot? Man, you, or, you know, it was Investor Carrot. You gotta, you gotta get this. And I'm like, man, I'm already paying for so many different subscriptions. I already have a website. I'm already paying for a subscription. You helped me write it and you get me all kinds of traffic. So I don't understand why I need to do this. Yep. And it took a while, but that was in 2013. I didn't join Carrot until like early 2015. Mm -hmm. And I, I just looked one, two, three, four, four four transactions that entire time um, from my website. Oh wait, actually, all four of those canceled too. So none of those even closed. <laughs> but I had four deals that I got from my website pre-carrot and none of them even closed. Uh -huh. Since then, it's been consistently, I mean, the first year was a little bit of a ramp up, but I, I instantly noticed a change when we went from my WordPress site to the carrot content and it was like night and day. I started getting leads right away. And we started converting them because they were quality leads. They weren't yeah. junk. Anybody on the website, anybody with a website could get kind of leads. They were quality leads. And we consistently pull six figures from our website. I mean, every single year since 2016, 2017, 18, and 19. Um, well, not quite so far this year, but yep. our biggest lead source has been our website for um, year over year consistently. So. Dude, so that stuff, that stuff makes me happy, first of all, because I've, I've done so many marketing, so much marketing in the last decade, right? I've done in many different types of businesses. Uh, I've done offline marketing, online marketing. And the reason that we went all, all in on content is because it was always the stuff that worked the best. Now, it wasn't the easiest, right? It wasn't like the most immediate, but then that's where you take your, your really good portal, your high converting credibility building um, portal, your website, and then you send paid traffic to it. And I was checking out your 
your site just right before this call and you've got a good mix, man. You've got some, some AdWords coming through there. I guess it's not called Google AdWords now. It's called Google ads now. Yeah. You've got some ads coming through there. You've got some, um, some direct stuff coming through there, which that's, we'll talk about that here in a bit, kind of what your marketing mix is yep. some, from some direct mail and you've got SEO coming through there too. You're on page one in Google for like sell my house fast, uh, Detroit and some other phrases and so some things are happening. So what's your, uh, to give people context, man, what you, so you went through, you were doing short sales, you started to buy to buy notes. Um, you then started to shift a little bit and you mentioned that shift. You met Adrian, you went to, to Tracy K, which property mom since then, what's been your model and, um, what are you doing today? Like as far as 2018, 2019, what's your volume look like? Yeah, so it's been pretty much consistently wholesaling. I did almost exclusively wholesaling up until about twenty late twenty seventeen. I started to flirt with some flips. Yep. Um, the market started to get white hot, and it was like, man, there's a lot of money being left on the table here. Maybe I should try some of these flips. It was kind of like shiny object syndrome in a sense. Um, excuse me, we did. We did well with them though. So it was like, all right, well, that worked. Um, we were doing about 60 deals a year, year over year, up until last year. Last year, what we did, we did, um, I think it was 20 wholesale deals and like 10 flips. Mm-hmm. So our volume was like way down, but we did the same revenue yep. with a lot more work on less files. So it was like this year, I looked at that again, my kind of pre, pre-year planning and going, okay, so this year was fun. We did a lot of flips, but we did a lot more work for the same amount of money with a lot more risk. So yep. the rehabs are great and the, the the revenue can be great, but they're obviously way more risky than a wholesale deal. A wholesale deal, all you're risking is your deposit or your reputation. Um, we, we lost $17,000 on one flip that I thought was just a home run, slammed up. I mean, I went to school in this neighborhood. I knew the neighborhood. Um, the houses was, were great. We bought it for like 67 or something like that. We put about, I don't know, 17 or 18 in it, something, 20 in it, something like that. Um, we thought this would sell for 130 all day long and 130, 125, 120, all the way down until we were under 100,000. Really? After all the commissions and closing costs and all of a sudden done, we lost almost 18 grand on it. Hmm. So it was like, okay, that was the first time I've ever lost money on a, on a real estate deal like that. It was. Yeah. Um, we lost money back during the crash on some stuff, but this was different. This was the hottest market we've seen in a decade mm. and we lost money. It was like, okay, why? We still can't figure out exactly what we did. Huh. We don't know. It wasn't like we went over budget. We were right at our budget. We fixed everything that was supposed to be fixed. There was this one tree in the yard that people complained about. It was a giant tree that was partially dead, but it, it could have been, it just, it was like a tree though. Yeah. $30,000 off of what the ARV was because of a tree. Yeah. No way. So we really racked our brain and couldn't find out what that was about. So went back this year and it was like, all right, we really, I want to focus more on the wholesaling thing. I'll do some flips, but also wholetailing. Mm-hmm. I want to do a lot more wholetailing because that's kind of the best of both worlds. You can maximize your spreads. Uh, you do have to take some risk by purchasing the house and, and closing on it. But you don't have to worry about doing too much of the rehab or an extensive rehab. You can just kind of um, clean it out and get it ready for more people than like a more normal wholesale deal would be. Yep. Um, so that's kind of where we're at right now. We're doing, we actually had a very slow April. Um, like I was telling you before we kind of started recording, I brought on, uh, we've kind of been working on building the foundation, rebuilding the foundation of the company. Um, I've, I've got a new acquisitions manager who started this week. 
a new lead manager who started last week and our new COO who started about two months ago. So we had hired and fired someone already, brought in the new team here and we've got, we're in a new office. So the, the foundation's being built the way, and it's being built the way that I've been trying to do kind of for five years. I'm not a COO, I'm not very good at hiring, never good at managing like staff and HR and all that kind of stuff. I'm good at marketing, I'm good at sales, and I'm good at like deal making and getting you know, that kind of stuff and networking. Um, so that's what I, I brought him in and it was like, okay, these are things that I'm really good at. And, and talking to sellers and negotiating with sellers has been a strong suit of mine too. Do you, so do you, so you, you, you're good at those things? Do those types of things give you energy too? Or are they like, man, I really love doing that kind of stuff? Some of them, yeah. The talking yeah. to sellers, not as much anymore. Yeah. But I think that was more because I was stressed about all these other things. Gotcha. Back in the field a little bit with less responsibility of the other stuff. Mm. I found it, it does give me some energy again too. Cool. And also the successes because I'm, I'm, I'm just good at it. And I, I don't necessarily love it. I don't hate it though. But I mean, it's not my favorite thing to do. My favorite, I love the marketing side. Of it. I cool. love seeing what's going to work and how can I get more people to call us or to, to text us or to go to our website or whatever. Uh, changing the message and see what different media works differently. Mm. Um, that's always been my, my most passionate part. And then helping other investors too. So like through the property mob or whatever, coaching you know, newbies in one of the groups we have or things like that, just responding to random Facebook you know, posts with, with knowledge that I've learned over these last 10 years or whatever. Yep. So, um, a way of giving back that helps too. So Dude, what, what, what were you doing before you got into real estate, real estate? So it sounds like right before the crash, you, you dumped in, you jumped in there. What were you doing before that? Actually, I was in title insurance. So oh, I, was really? a, I was a title examiner. And so I started out as a, like a tax examiner, they call it. I just called on property taxes, hmm. recorded it, went to the next one, recorded it, went to the next one. And then it graduated to uh, examiner where I'd actually search the records and I'd have to sometimes go downtown to the county learn how to search the public records. I would create the title commitment for, for rat, normal retail deals. It was mostly like retail stuff. Gotcha. I had this investor that came into the office. We were a small little sort of mom and pop title company and he was doing short sales, but he was doing them where he was negotiating the deal, short sale and flipping it to some California investor, getting a mortgage and walking away with tens of thousands of dollars every time I've gone what are you doing? So he basically bribed me one day to take his file that he just ordered. He needed it rushed and put it on top. He gave me like $60 or something, which to me at that time was like, this is like two days worth of work oh, dude. or whatever. Yeah. You know, I, mean? I think I made 10 bucks an hour or 12 bucks an hour or something. Yeah. So I was like, man, this is a whole day's worth of work. And he just gave me that to just take his file from here and move it up to here. Like, mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> so then we started talking. Um, he showed me what he was doing. It was basically calling the pre-foreclosure list, door knocking, saying, hey, we can help you with your mortgage situation, get lots of doors slammed in your face. But then the one person that says yes, you basically just negotiate with their bank to buy it for a price that was less than what they owed. And at this time, it wasn't hugely common yet, but it was becoming, the writing was kind of on the wall. The economy was tanking. Things weren't going well, especially in our city. So this so, is 2008, nine at that this point? This was like 2006. So this okay, was okay. the beginning of it. And in yep. Detroit, it started a little sooner, I think, before a lot of the rest of the country. So mm -hmm. 2006, things were starting to head that way. More and more people were going into foreclosure than, than ever before. And then uh, he showed me this process and kind of how he did it. So I'm like, well, can I go with you? He's like, yeah, sure. Mm. Went out with him, knocked on two doors. The first door, nobody was home. The second door, 
the lady answered and was like, yeah, actually, I mean, I don't know what to do. And I was like, uh, hey, Brian. And he's like, I don't know what to do either. <laughs> yeah, comes jogging down the street and goes, you know, he does his thing, kind of talks to her, explains the process real quick. I mean, my involvement was literally that, and that was mm. it. He got this deal closed, and he brings me a check for $6,000. And I was like, that's two months worth of salary right there. I'm like, I, I never didn't know what to do with that much money. I was like, this is unbelievable. I was in. I was 100% in at that point. Like, okay, I'm doing this. I started my own LLC in October of that year, and I never looked back. I mean, I still worked for a little while, for three years almost, mm -hmm. in various title companies, always on the side trying to figure out how to do this and do this full time. Um, and then in 2009, and so that period, I did a short sale here, and then I did one there. My first solo short sale, I made $32,000 on it. And it was, uh, I, it's funny, this is a funny story. I don't think I've ever told this on a podcast before. <laughs> so I was marketing in my local neighborhood or whatever, up in Lapeer, where I live, which is north. It's kind of almost in the thumb here. I love Michigan. You can kind of do this. Well, I live right here. Um, it's up in the thumb area a little bit. And I didn't know anybody out there buying houses, but I found this deal of someone who wanted to sell their house and it was a short sale, got it all negotiated. I found a buyer by, so I found another seller who wanted to downsize mm. and they were in a little bit of financial trouble, trouble, but they weren't really sure. They weren't, they were current on their loan. So they didn't want to do a short sale. So I was like, well, I'll do a lease option. I'll pay you 1200 a month. Their mortgage payment though was 2000 a month. Gotcha. So they were willing to take an $800 loss a month mm. in order to do this. And their new payment was going to be about, so their whole payment was going to go down by maybe $400. Mm -hmm. They were going to be paying for me to live in their house. Yep. A couple months or a couple weeks go by, a month goes by, this short sale that I'm going to be selling them starts to get actually closer to being fully approved, working on a mortgage for them. And they said, you know what? We don't want to make that payment every month. Can we just do a short sale on that and still buy this other house? Yep. I don't know. Let me see. So long story short, we did all the stuff and we were able to do that. So in 2007, I short sold their house. I took it from a $280,000 note to $125,000 purchase price. It was on 10 acres, 2,400 square foot house. I mean, it's crazy. And then flipped them a house that they moved into and made $32,000 on. And then a few years later, they wanted to short sell that again. I bought it again, the new house, really? the first house. Bought it again, and I owned that for a couple of years and flipped it to someone else on a land contract. Hmm. So that was my first couple of deals in real estate. It's just like this whole crazy, I was doing anything, short sale, yeah. seller finance, like whatever I could get my hands on. I didn't have any cash. I didn't have any credit necessarily. It was pretty basic credit, no real income, no assets. It was just whatever I could hustle together to do. No private lenders. So my my deal was find this deal and then find someone to buy it that can get a mortgage or pay cash. And I didn't even know what wholesaling was, but that's essentially what I was doing. Yep. So we got that done and that was like, that was the real game changer for me because that wasn't just somebody handing me a check. It was, gotcha. I did this whole thing essentially by myself. I figured it out, made the phone calls, did the hard work. And now I made, I mean, at $32,000, that was like a year's worth of income at that point. Do so that. I go from $60, a little tip, to $6,000 to $32,000 in a matter of about four or five months mm -hmm. with this learning curve. So, Dude, there's so many things that are cool about that story, right? Because there's, I, th I think any time we're wanting to go out there and do something new like this, new career, you want to start a business, you've never started one before, 
I was the same way. You go, I, I, this obviously like the first gateway is you've got to believe that it can work. Yeah. Right. That's the first thing is, is we're oftentimes skeptical go, man, is, is this thing real? Like, can you actually do this? Cause your friends over here and your mom says it's not like, yeah. oh, that's a scam. You can't really do that stuff. Cause, cause they, they, they bought into the normal traditional route. Right. Mm-hmm. But then the second thing you have a mentor, so in steps, a mentor, uh, inadvertently, you mm-hmm. didn't sound like you were looking for him, yeah. but in steps, a mentor and you go, you, you have like a real example in front of you that, okay, this is real. Like it obviously is happening. I don't know how it's happening. I don't know how, like you knocked on the door yeah. and you didn't know what to do next, but then the guy comes back and gives you a check and he, he knew what to do. Yep. Right. And then like, okay, so I know it's real. I know I believe that it's this real. I know it can happen because this guy did it. I don't know how to do it. So then the next steps are, how do I learn the thing? Right. And as long as you can go on those little progressions, that's where I see people getting caught. Like you see in a Facebook thread, or I'm sure you've worked with it, coaching with people where they don't truly believe that they can actually do it. If you don't believe you can do it, I don't care how many, like you could give them the best steps in the world, Steve, they're always going to find a reason why it won't work. I could give them a step-by-step, I mean, detailed, do this and then this and then this. And they, they, if they don't truly believe they can do it, it'll never happen for them. So you're right. That's the believing that it's possible, not even necessarily believing that you can do it, but believing that it's possible first mm-hmm. is, is I mean, absolutely huge. And it doesn't matter what background you come from or what your education level is or I mean, any of that stuff. I, I got a GED. I didn't graduate high school. Yep. I was in gangs and in trouble and in like, I was not in a good spot. Mm. Got a GED, moved out of town. I, I, I discovered Carlton Sheets as I was in Lansing, Dude, running away from the gang life. That was my first thing. My dad bought the yep. Carlton, $500 Carlton Sheets yep. course. And yeah. We, uh, this was even, I was working at a title company. We watched my, my ex and I were watching TV one night and saw a stupid infomercial and we're like, we should try it. It's, it's risk-free, right? You see, so what we did was we copied materials, we copied everything, yep. mailed it back so we didn't get charged. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I truly learned some things from that course, though. I mean, people kind of crap on it, and we joke about Carlton Sheets and the whole no money down thing, but I legitimately learned tactics from that course, and it, it opened my eyes to the possibilities of a lot of things. Yep. And, and the whole philosophy of you never know unless you ask. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now, the answer is no, because you haven't asked. Yep. If you ask, it might still be no, but it might be yes. Mm-hmm. Like, will you take your commission as a, as a down payment? Will you take your commission over time? Or some of the no money down things that he would bring up, and you'd be like, why would somebody do that? I don't know. Ask them. You, know, yep. you never know. So, Dude, that, that's such a good point. So looking back into that time in my, in my life, the same thing. We, I was 19, 20 years old was kind of like starting to want, want to learn the stuff, but same thing. I didn't really know anyone who was doing it. So I couldn't go, Oh, that person. Then I went to college and I had a college professor. He was doing it. He, he was a, a, an attorney and a real estate investor. And so he would talk about that all the time. I'm like, okay, he's doing it, but he's really smart. Like he, he's an attorney. So he's very smart. So you gotta have something special there. Right. Um, and then my dad bought the course. He's like, you don't have to pay for it as long as you use it. Um, if you don't use it, you're paying me, you're paying me the money. I'm like, okay, so I got to use it. And I bought my first property. Uh, it was no money down. I just paid for some closing costs, like 600 bucks. I still own that one today. I'm hopefully going to sell it and pour that money into a building here. Um, but literally today, this is like full circle. Then I want to dive into what you're doing marketing wise and dive into like how you're building your team. Cause that's really important stuff. But right before my ask care episode today, so about an hour and a half ago, 
I was looking at a property. It's not for sale in the market yet, but I, 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 I had learned that it's likely going to be available. It's attached to this building that I'm in right now. Okay. Um, it's a big, a pretty big building. And so we got to talking and you just asked those questions. Right. And by the end of it, um, you know, there's a very high likelihood that I'm going to make an offer if not buy the property in the next couple of weeks. And during the, the conversation, he will carry the note. He said, I just want to have amazing things happen downtown. I said, well, will, will you at least match what a bank is doing? He's like, not really. He goes, you, you tell me what the bank will give you. And I'll probably, if it's five and a half percent, I'll probably do 5%. And, and I said, well, I, you know, if, is there anything? So I'm going to have to put some money into renovate. And this is there anything we could do on the down payment? He goes, let's chat. He goes, I might not even need any down payment. Right. But nor normally you would come into that thinking, okay, I've got to come in at 20% or whatever it is and get the bank loan. And same thing by asking questions, these things started to come up. Potentially, I might come into this property with little to nothing down with a note carried from him. And then I'll be able to go get a construction loan or use my own cash to renovate it. So it's all because asking some questions and, and, and connecting with the person, right? It wasn't just, hey, I want to buy this building. It was figuring out their story. It was figuring out what motivates them. What would they love to see with this building? Why are, you know, why, why are they parting ways with it? Figuring out the motion side of it. And we just connected. And like, I'd, I'd love to put an amazing thing in here downtown, help to fulfill part of your mission too. And it can work well for all, which is That's cool. cool. Yeah. Dude, so let's go into the marketing side. So uh, I've got your website pulled up. I'm not going to show the screen of it because I'm like looking the leads, the lead manager side of it, but you've got really consistent leads coming in on the buyer side and the seller side. Um, like I said, I was looking at your, your seller site and you've got uh, some leads coming from SEO. Uh, you're on page one in Google for many phrases in your market, but there's also a lot of room for improvement, right? Like every single yeah. ranking you pop up there, your leads are going to go up. You've got some Google AdWords coming up. So what's your overall marketing mix right now, Steve? What are you doing to generate marketing for your business right now? So mostly, um, it's a combination of direct mail, um, on the inherited list side, we send letters. We don't put our postcard on that. So that's pretty much just phone calls. We get some people who might Google my name cause I found some sneaky inherited leads that come through the website and I'm like, so why didn't you call the number that was on the letter? And they said, well, we wanted to do some research on you. Yep. So they Googled my name somehow ended up on their website and then came through that. Um, so direct mail, the postcards that we do, we do put our website on. And my goal is to just have them go to the website or call me. If they call me, I get on the phone with them. I can close them. Mm -hmm. They go to the website and they fill out the form. Okay. We'll get in touch and we'll close them that way. Yep. But they don't even have to fill out the form. All they need to do is just visit it. Just go there. We can tag them with the Facebook pixel, the Google ad like knows that they've been on my website and then I can start sending them Facebook ads. I can start sending them Google ads directed to them, like retargeting. Yep. So we do those and then we have Google ads, just normal uh, pay-per-click budget or, or whatever it's tactic. And then we do normal SEO. Like I have Adrian's team actually hmm. um, doing that on a monthly yep. basis. I think I've been doing it for about a year and a half now with hmm. them. So I, I used to be the top one or two rank spots. Um, competition picked up i slacked on actually paying attention to my ranking i was like oh i'm first page i'm good to go well then i dripped off and dropped off of that so we really focus mostly on direct mail and i'd say google slash website stuff cool. those are probably two best sources do one, one thing you mentioned was on the seo ranking dropping a little bit right where it's it's a really common misnomer where you put in the work and you got the ranking and then you don't have to, like people will go well, i'm, I'm going to cancel the seo service now right and the way I look at it is working out. Uh, it's a lot of work in this first two weeks, two months, six months, a year 
to get back in shape, to get the habits created, to, get, to catch momentum, to, to get the ripped abs. Mm-hmm. And you're only going to maintain those ripped abs if you keep on showing up, you know? And that's what it's, it's very, very common to go, well, I'm already there. I'm, I'm going to cut the $1,000, $1,500 a month budget now because it's like, now it's an expense, right? Yeah. But, but it's not. It, it's when, when you can, you know, as you've experienced, uh, as your ranking dropped, you likely saw a good little dip in traffic and leads. And you get one deal from one of those ones. What, what's your average profit per deal right now in your market? Uh, we're about thirteen, fourteen thousand 14,000 per deal cool. right now, which is up considerably from previous years. Uh-huh. Last year was around nine or 10. But before that, when we really started to focus on that as a metric, we were like three to five grand. We were happy with you. But when we started saying, well, wait a minute, we should probably be making as much as we can on these instead of just be happy. We would literally take take our contract price, add five to it, and send it to one or two guys, and they'd buy it, and that'd be it. Yep. It was very easy, but when the competition got stiffer and we started to realize, well, wait a minute, we can pretty much do the same thing except we can add 15 to it instead of just adding five. Send it to those same guys, and most of them are still buying it. So yep. we're, we're at about, uh, I think it was 13,700 and something like that the last time we checked it. I, I love it. So one lost deal because of lost ranking or a website not converting or whatever, you know, 13,000 bucks. So there's the likelihood of once you get that ranking back up, once you get that thing back up, you're going to close an extra one, two, five, who knows how many deals, you know, a year, which is, you know, going to well pay for, for the investment there. Uh, one thing you kind of broached the topic on, dude, and actually right before this, I did an Ask Carrot episode and I was, I was chatting with one of our clients, Tim, amazing investor, Carrot Camper, um, you know, seven figure uh, guy. He has a bunch of rental properties, has a brokerage. He'd been a flipper for years, came here and he was in the same session with Brad Chandler and a bunch of others where Brad's like, man, we cut our whole flipping division down. We're just wholesaling now. This is a year and a half ago. And so, and uh, it was because the same things you mentioned before, the risk, the, the, there's no guarantee you're going to get the big return. You could lose money on a deal. Um, and when you're doing at a big scale, like Brad was, he would have 80 projects going on at any given time at, at Express Home Buyers, would have millions out in funding, and there was just a lot of risk. And so he's like, I'm going to cut it all down, and we're just going to just going to wholesale. And that's what he did. So Tim went away, created a wholesaling division, and he started creating a lot more income coming in. But we had a call um, last week, and it's a really great call. And we were talking about, just basically for him, some of the metrics that have not been as attractive lately for him because of the competition, you know, your, your average uh, cost per deal has increased in some of his marketing methods uh, while the profit margins have still been good. Also his leads per his, his leads per deal um, close ratio has gotten worse. And there's a couple of things I want, I'm going to bring up is because he didn't focus on the credibility. He's like, mm-hmm. I, I am credible. I know, I know my background. We, once we show up and talk with the seller, we're, we're going to win the deal. But what happens is just like that person that you were talking about on the probate side, they hit Google, they researched your name. Like I, when you were doing that, I, I Googled your name and up pops a, a Google suggested search. Steve, Lon, Steve Londo um, real estate is what people are searching for. And up is number one is, is your website. Um, and that's what he wasn't really focusing on, getting all that online credibility. So really, really important, y'all, to make sure, especially in this type of an environment, you're focusing on your credibility. But what we had talked about, and, and I'll kind of go into the next part of it, is this. Is in a market like now, when, when, when your Google pay-per-click costs are going up a little bit, and maybe possibly your margins might be going down, maybe some people's aren't, um, you've really got to find ways to increase your average profit per deal. Well, the, all the newer investors are looking at every, everything in this box of a wholesale. You've got to find ways to increase average profit per deal. So what have you done 
in addition to what you talked about there, what have you done to increase that? Because you it looks sounds like you like four or five X'd it. Yeah, we we started to just actually pay attention to the metric. I mean, you you sort of um, I guess one of the sayings one of my coaches has always said is you can only expect what you inspect. Mm. So I can't expect my average profit to be ten thousand if I'm not inspecting that that see where it is and why it's not at ten thousand per month or per yep. per deal. So we started number one to just pay attention to it, and then we started to just push our our numbers a little bit instead of saying well, we had this contract for for eighteen thousand because we we do a lot in Detroit, which is you know fairly small numbers. So. Mm. This house under contract for eighteen thousand. We used to just send that out for twenty three, twenty four, and call it a day. Yeah, well, like, well, let me send it out there for thirty and see what happens. Well, what happens is people offer me twenty six, twenty eight. We say okay and get a deal, and you know we're making a thirty percent commission if you want to call it that, based on sales price, right? Yep. So if you're selling a thirty thousand dollar house, making ten grand, that's phenomenal. That's so we our average is probably in that sixty to fifty to sixty price point though. Um, and that's how we've gotten to the 30s because we'll do some suburb deals or into that 13 to that thousand range. So we'll do some suburban deals where the prices could be anywhere from you know low 20s or in low 30s to, I mean, and this, in fact, I was talking about this earlier. I have a, a house, I was reading the email before I got on this call. Our offer is um, $524,479.85. Jeez, so, man. A little bigger than our normal deal. So, yeah. you know, our market is anywhere from that small end to these multi-million dollar luxury homes as well. Um, so how, 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 how would you take that down? Is that, is that a wholesale deal you're thinking and you have buyers that are buying in that range? I do have a couple, but I think that's, that would be my hope. Yep. I'm like, I probably would, would have to close that and then uh, let the sellers finish moving out. It's an owner-occupied clean it out a little bit um, and then just list it. Okay. Um, I think as a, as a straight listing, we could probably list it as is in the low 600 range. Hmm. Um, and if we spruce it up at all by updating the bathrooms and maybe paint and stuff like that, probably as high as seven, something like seven or nine, something like that. So it's a, it's a super desirable area. Hmm. Um, there's some niche um, like cultural things, I guess you'd say with this neighborhood too, where um, like uh, Orthodox Jewish community is kind of really moving into this and they want this type of area. So mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I don't think you can necessarily target that, but I can, what I can do um, just to throw this out there is what we've done in the past is we kind of look on the MLS and look at houses that have sold recently. Instead of just looking at it as a comp, we call that agent and say, Hey, do you have any other buyers looking in this neighborhood? Uh, gotcha. Yeah. I mean, the old school going back to when I first started, that was kind of how I found buyers was, I found a house that sold right next door to the one I was trying to buy and said, Hey, do you have any more buyers looking for this neighbor? And I got the house next door to the one you sold under contract. It's actually a little nicer and I can get it cheaper, even cheaper. What do you think? Yep. Um, so that's one of the tactics that we're trying, but it's definitely more of a wholesale opportunity, I think. Um, because if you run the numbers and do it the, the traditional route, our offer should be like, I don't know, 485 or 495 or something like that. Mm. But I'm offered, a, I'm able to offer a little bit more. Because it's in such a high, uh, highly desirable area, I'll go from my normal maybe sixty-five percent of ARV up to seventy or seventy-five percent of ARV. Okay. That's my cap. But in a neighborhood like this, I'll do that and it'll make it a little. But then I don't have as much of a margin to flip it to the end flipper. So gotcha. if I have someone who's like, "Yeah, I'll be happy making sixty thousand on a deal like that," okay. Most people are looking at percentages still than dollars. 
Um, especially if we're putting out 600,000, they don't necessarily want 60 in profit. They'd like to see a bigger ROI on that, but that's not really our wheelhouse. So our wheelhouse is those, you know, first time home buyer, blue collar up to maybe 150, 175 mm. has been our real sweet spot. Um, and that's been what we've made the most profit on and what we've done the most the volume on. I, I love it, man. So I'm going to recap some of those things and then I want to get, I want to uh, shift a little, little bit, a little bit of the conversation here in a bit. So recapping this, um, you are getting most of your leads through your website, but direct mail is a big source of them. You're doing, you're doing, uh, you know, inherited, you're doing probate, things like that. And then you're doing Google pay-per-click. You're doing retargeting, which is the biggie guys and gals. Like he was mentioning, even if the person doesn't put in their information, you then put a retargeting ad that's like a testimonial or it's a, Hey, are you still looking to sell? It's over on Facebook. It's over on Google. That's a big deal. Um, and those are, that's kind of where most of those leads are coming from. He switched over from a custom WordPress site, got much better conversion performance before he, uh, you had mentioned that it was, uh, you hadn't closed any of those deals in your custom site. And then now it's really consistent, just deals every single month that are coming in. And before we hit record in this, you were mentioning, this is kind of a segue is, is you're really looking to, to gain. Um, I talk about the, I call it the boom and bust business cycle, right? The income cycle, whatever it is. And I've had that in multiple businesses before. And, and anytime you're in a transactional business, it's likely going to be easy to have a boom and bust business model. Now at the end of the and at the end of the day, you can have really good income. Your tax bill is going to show you made a great income. But every single month you're like, ah, it's like I did we we did ninety two thousand bucks this month, then it's twenty two the next month or whatever. Right. So we talked about some of the things you're doing right now to break through and have your first one hundred thousand dollar wholesale month. Um, but you talked about building the team. Yeah. And what point, Steve, did you make the switch where you're like, I've got to build a team. I can't just keep doing this solo. At what point did you make the switch? Yeah. So, you know, I've been honest, I've been trying to build a team for, for several years and I've had, you know, parts of a good team. I've had a good team, but it's never been the full team. It's been like, you know, as a, as a start, as a basketball team, I might have two of the starting five and then I've got three people that either aren't even on the team and I'm playing three positions or they're just not performing to what I need them to because I'm not a good manager and hirer and all that stuff. So, it, that was the longest part is I tried some things. I had some success, but then he ended up being successful and going out on his own. And now he's running his own successful business here in my market as well. So I found good people too. It wasn't all disastrous, but as far as keeping the team under control or whatever in my, in my company, I haven't been able to do it. Um, 2017, I brought a partner on who is He's actually one of the biggest real estate agents in the area. He was a big buyer of mine. I sold him a bunch of flips and we'd been talking about, you know, maybe doing something more serious together. And so we did in 2017, we partnered up. He actually came up with the company household cash cool. uh, and the logo and all that stuff. So that started to go well, but what we realized we're, we're both visionaries. So we were both like having the same type of issue. Yep. And then he went and joined, uh, he was a Keller Williams agent. He went and joined EXP. Mm. And it was, a, I mean, a huge deal. EXP made a big deal about it because he's a mega agent and all that stuff. And his focus started to go towards the EXP side. And again, the major factor wasn't so much his focus. It was more that we're both visionaries and yep. we're not like complementary in that regard. So he told me, you know what? I need to really focus on EXP. You know, I'm, I'm still on, I'm still on your team and I'm here if you need anything and we'll still do flips and all that stuff. But why don't you find someone that can step in and do what we need is, which is like an integrator. Mm. And so I found, I had a very good friend of mine who actually just called for some advice to try to 
you know, how can I find someone like you to come into my business and help me grow it and create it? Yeah. Well, he had, he had worked for this company. It's like a $15 million company. It was basically a um, underwriting company for commercial loans. Okay. So he was real estate related. He had some experience. He also owned some rentals and things like that too. Um, so he had some knowledge with real estate, but his operations was his key. It's what he's done for a living. Mm-hmm. He took that company from four employees, including himself, the CEO, and a couple of underwriters, to like 75 or 80 employees mm-hmm. over the last 10 years. And so I'm like, okay, I don't necessarily want 75 or 80 employees, but that curve of growth is what I want yep. from nothing to $10 million in business would be phenomenal. So I'm like, okay. And he says, you know, actually, when I called him for advice, he says, actually, it's funny you ask that you say that because I just got told we hired a new CEO and I got told that I'm getting moved up to a board position, which is great. I mean, I'm going to be making great money. I'm less responsibility, but now I don't have much to do. Day to day, they just pretty much taken all my direct reports away. I don't have to run the meetings anymore. I don't have to do this. He goes, and he also works remotely for that company. That company is based in South Carolina. Mm. He's here in Michigan. So gotcha. he'd fly down there for a week at a time and come back. And so anyway, long story short, he's like, man, we, we should maybe talk about this. Yeah. Um, also, he's also one of my, my best friends. Like I've known him since we were about one year old and literally moved in across the street when he, I was one year old and we grew up together, known each other ever since, been best friends. So I'm like, all right, he comes out to the house. We're, we're hanging out, having some drinks and just kind of sitting and chatting. I'm going through some of my numbers and showing him what, what I've done over the years. And he's like, man, that's, this is a little more serious than I thought. I know, you know, we, we talk a little bit, but nobody yeah. really, even really good friends don't necessarily talk about, you know, their finances and like what you've done. And, oh yeah, I made a hundred thousand dollars last year doing this one little niche thing. Yep. Um, and so he's like, wow, man, I, that's pretty awesome. So he got really intrigued and we started really diving into the numbers and the CRM and he saw that it wasn't just a, you know, fly by night with me in a backpack with a bunch of scribbled papers. It's a professional, you know, CRM and I have a marketing plan and I have like a, this is an actual business. I just yeah. need someone like him to take it and make it better. So we decided, yeah, let's bring him on. Um, he's, he's come on as a full CEO and partner. Um, and his, in his first month, we hired someone, um, we've quickly realized she was not a good fit and we let her go, rehired someone for the position who's been, I mean, she, she's probably gone by now. So I want to talk to you about, she's been awesome. Like we're so happy with her. I do want her to know that too, but, uh, not too crazy, but she's been amazing. And she's only been here a week. Mm -hmm. She's booked multiple appointments, like good appointments. And it's a lot of times, this sounds kind of silly, but a lot of times when you're building a team. Sometimes just having somebody to do it, which is to answer that call live, talk to that seller and build that little bit of credibility and rapport is just huge Mm. because they leave a message for you or they leave it for Pat live and then you try to call them back and you're playing a phone tag and nobody can get a hold of each other or they call, leave you a message and then look at Google and go to the next one and the next one. So when you have someone that can capture that live, that's been like amazing. So she's, she's huge for that. And she's got some good experience. She was a loan officer. And so she's got some real estate experience and stuff too. Um, and then the, the next hire, which we just started this week, I w- we, this is the other thing too. And I kind of mentioned this, you mentioned this when I s- talked about the mentor thing. I wasn't looking for a mentor. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of accidentally found one. I wasn't looking for an acquisitions manager yet. I have a guy that's that, that works for me right now, but he's also um, a, a he's a kind of a competitor, but he's like a friend too. He came up under me 
another guy that came up under me and started his own thing. He's doing some work for himself. For me, he's also an agent, so he's super busy. But he's helping me, and I was going to transition him out and bring someone else in. But I hadn't found that person yet. And I wasn't even really looking too hard yet. So it's like, let me get this lead manager first and the COO thing first. And then when I get that under under wraps, and then we can go to the next stage. But life doesn't always work that way. Yeah, you don't always get to choose when the opportunity comes your way, or when that person gets introduced to you, and whether you're ready or not. Sometimes you need to make that leap of faith and go, okay, this guy is a player. This guy is a winner. I want him on my team. Yeah. So it was a referral from a friend of mine who's in sales. Um, I know him, and we've kind of done some business together as well. But he's just mostly just a friend. And he's like, hey man, I got a guy. You looking for some, some someone for sales help? still and i was like yeah but i'm you know i'm not really quite ready for him yet he goes all right well i think i got something you should talk to mm -hmm. so i talked to him and he was a he was a keller williams agent he was a licensed builder and he right now he's selling insurance he was a licensed insurance agent so he's a licensed uh, adjuster so these are four licenses that he holds that it can be really valuable in our business talked to him we got the feel out we interviewed him that was the first phase, and I, I like everybody. So I interview people. I'm like, oh, I love this guy. We should hire him. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm the same Hold way. On. Slow down. <laughs> let's, let's back up a minute. Let's, let's give him some assessments and tests. So we gave him the disc test, gave him the Colby, and then I gave him the um, objective management groups, sales training. If you, if you guys all know John Martinez. I know yep. you've had John on. Yep. He recommends this, this assessment or whatever. It's, it's kind of pricey, mm -hmm. but – it, it's, it's really detailed. And it's for a salesperson, it's like phenomenal. So mm -hmm. I gave it to all the people that have worked for me and none of them were, so it gives you like a recommended, worthy of consideration or not recommended. Mm -hmm. Everybody I gave it to, even people that were performing for me right now, doing the job I'm looking for, said not recommended. Hmm, like, really? Man, that's really interesting. So I started diving, I'm like, you know what? It's saying the things about the one guy and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of true. Wow, oh, that's true. You know what? That's really true. And that has bothered me in the past. And I didn't really put too much thought into it. But I was like, that's actually a really good point. I should make sure the next person I hire for this job doesn't do this thing that is a, a detriment to that role. Yep. So I gave him that, that assessment and it said worthy of consideration. And that instantly, it still wasn't recommended, but it mm -hmm. worthy of consideration when everybody else failed it. I was like, okay, this is incredible. This guy is a licensed builder. He's a licensed agent. He's got some insurance. So he knows renovations he knows like insurance cost things to watch out for that could be big red flags the yep. big big stuff that could really kill a wholesale deal he knows what to look for yep. all i need to teach him is how to talk to a seller and i don't even have to do that i can let john martinez do that for me who's center training i am so I, I gave him access to the training he's gotten started right away he's been like studying that training for two weeks now even before he officially started with me this week he spent all last week going through the training. I wish I could have got him out to the boot camp, but I told John, we'll get out to the next one here. He <laughs> came, I'm going to go. Um, so now all in the last 60 days, I've brought on a partner slash COO, a new lead manager who's basically the face of our company. Mm -hmm. And she's also acting as our office manager in the interim until we grow it up to hire either another lead manager or office manager. And then acquisitions manager. And we've moved into a new office. So all this stuff has been happening in the last 60 days, but it's all really, really positive. It's all, excuse me, foundational, yep. which is super, super important. If you're trying to build a, a house or a, a structure, if you don't have a solid foundation, the whole thing's going to come down like a house of cards. If you don't build it with a solid foundation, the whole thing's coming down with the first gust of wind. So, and that's happened to me over the years. I've been trying to build this and I don't have a solid foundation. 
So it's usually me holding up like three plates and then they'd stack the other one on there and I'd drop them all. So yeah. when I finally took myself out of that role and realized, okay, I'm good at this and I like this, I'm good at this and I like this, I should probably just be doing these things. Mm. Let me find someone to do the things that I, first of all, they're not good at. And then the things that I don't like to do. Like I don't mind doing things that I'm good at that I don't necessarily like because I know I'm good at them and it's best for the team and yep. it's best for the team, it's best for everyone here. So, but there's things that I just know I'm not good at. Anything like accounting related and all the bill paying and all that like detailed stuff like that. I don't, don't want to do that stuff. That just gets too messy and I don't want to do it. Or HR and hiring and those kinds. Of, I like everybody. I Oh, you're awesome. We, we get along great. You should come work for me. But then their work ethic and our personality doesn't, doesn't matter. If they don't perform, I don't care how much I like you. We can't work on this team. Yeah. You can't do the tasks that are required of that, that role or whatever. So, Dude, it, it, it's really important. You, you mentioned some really good stuff there. And one thing I want to take people all the way back to the first part that you mentioned was um, you and your former business partner, or I'm not sure if he's still part of the picture, but you guys were growing it. You're, you're too similar, right? You yeah. were both visionaries. You're probably both quick starts. Yep. And uh, I had a previous company with uh, still a good friend of mine. He, him and his family, they came out to to our house for a week last year. They live in Florida, really good friends. Uh, we see each other, I'm gonna see him in Toronto in, in three weeks up, in, up cool. in Canada. And uh, we, we had started a business together and we were like, why is this not working? And it wasn't working because we were both the, the, the visionary. Yeah. Um, we would push things forward and there'd be a million ideas, half of them not, not push past the first couple talks and all these kinds of things. So we ended up folding that business. But then, once him and I went separate ways and we really focused in on, on our businesses, the, the first thing that we both did was found people who were complimentary, people who were the integrator, people who right. would even follow through and get things done. Once that happened, both of our separate businesses grew really fast. Carrot, you know, I've got my co-founder, Chris, um, he owns a minority share of the company and, and he's high follow through, really high follow through. Now I've got Alex on my team who I brought in about a year and a half later after that, that now is, is our operations guy. And so pretty much anywhere I go around the business, Alex is the guy making sure things get executed. And, mm -hmm. and it's funny, uh, we had lunch yesterday with some of our loft members and my, my, one of my mentors, Seth Bueckley, hugely successful entrepreneur, sold his first company when he was, when he was 28 for about 18 million. Um, and then his second company, they built a 60 million in revenue, sold out about two years ago when he's, he's in here in this office space. And uh, we were over there at lunch and he was talking about another company they had started about two years ago. It was a nonprofit. And it was just kind of floundering. It was him and, and, and a couple other business partners. They're all kind of the visionary guys. And they were thinking about folding up shop. And then finally, about a year ago, about a year ago, he's like, okay, um, I'm going to bring in this other guy from my previous company that I sold who's just like, he's just an operator. He's amazing. It plugged him in. And that business went from they wanted to fold shop to they did 800 grand last year. Um, crazy. They're, they're crushing it and they're going to keep growing bigger as a nonprofit. And he's like, man, it's just another lesson is, is find that aren't integrator. Cause he said, when they're looking at the plan, Seth is not in the day to day in that business. He said, when they, when they look at the plan, he's going, man, I, I wrote that plan down two years ago. Like that's my plan. Um, he goes, but the thing is we couldn't execute it. This guy's coming in and just executing and it's working. So that's what I want people to really think about is, is if you are an executor and you're really good at that, but you need someone to go out there and, and, and be the driver, the person that's going to be the visionary and push things forward. Go find that person who is that. Um, oftentimes, though, the entrepreneur tends to be 
the visionary, right? And we kind of need to find the, the, the executor, the, the integrator. So make sure to plug that gap, guys. A um, couple questions for you, man. So uh, we were talking about you cracking through your first $100,000 a month. What are you going to do to do that? Are you shifting any strategies? Are you ramping up marketing? Like what, what's your map, do you think, to crack the first $100,000 a wholesale month? Yeah, the first the first big part of it was that foundation, making sure the foundation's mm -hmm. solid and that we because the big problem that we would get in the whole I call it the roller coaster, you call it the words the boomer, the bust. Yep. So I've always called it the roller coaster because you're up one month and you're then you're down one month and then it's just like a up and down every month. So would it we first fixed that because we would be like I would be I'd be on fire getting contracts and I'd come in with ten new seller contracts. But then I got to go sell those houses, help coordinate the closings. There's always fires, especially in Detroit. If you're dealing with Detroit properties, there's always yeah. something. The house got broke into and the furnace and the hot water tank got stolen or there's a squatter in it or, you know, seller said we, we wanted to close in a week and we didn't even have title back yet. We can't close yet. So there's always something I had to address. So I get all these houses under contract and then try to sell them so that I can't go get more under contract so that when those close, this is this part and then now i'm back building more so i get more contracts and then those close and then i go get more contracts so it was just this up and down so my plan is fix that i've kind of got that sorted out now yeah then it's increase the marketing i mean and i've talked about this before you just kind of turn the volume up it's like i have 10 leads i turn up to 30 to 100 it kind of works that way there's a point where you can max out the level though and you can't increase it too much more and you have to do other things, mm -hmm. but I'm not at that level yet. So yeah. step one is I've increased my uh, AdWords or ads, Google ads budget from whatever's another 25 bucks per day or whatever. So mm -hmm. it's, I'm only spending about $3,000 a month on PPC. What's your, what's your average cost per deal? So your average net profit's 13 K. What's your cost per deal? Let's see. I can look right here on the sheet. Um, average cost per deal. Average post, no, that's postcards. Average cost to close. Oh, that's low. That can't be right. It says it's $1,021. Dude, that's that, good, man. That would be like 2014 and 15 numbers, so that can't be right. I think um, I think I'm missing some some data in my spreadsheet here, but it's I want to say it's about 2,800 to 2,200, somewhere in that range. Mm -hmm. It's definitely higher than it used to be. Um, I used to like clockwork. I mean, I could, no matter how many times I did it, no matter how many postcards I sent that one time, it, it was, and it, this was, let me preface this was, it was only my marketing spend. So if I took, and I used to always use click to mail, if I uploaded a list and my little receipt invoice said $1,000, I would make $10,000 off that mailing. It yep. was no matter what, there was no way, no matter how I cut my numbers up, if I spent this much on marketing, I would 10 exit. It was yep. every year up until last year. Mm -hmm. 2017, it started to go down. And last year it was like, ha that's cute. How about you'd be lucky to get three or four or five to one, gotcha. um, which is still nice. And in most businesses, people would spend a dollar to make $2 every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Mm -hmm. But in real estate, and when you're used to 10 to one, you're like, ah, three yeah. to one's kind of crappy. So uh, increase the Google ads first and foremost. Um, and I've done that. I just did that this month. And cool. then I'm also increasing my mailing substantially. So I was doing one thing is consistency. So before you increase your numbers of things you do, increase your consistency first. Because if you go from mailing a thousand letters to 500 to 100 to nothing to 200 to a thousand, you're going to get those kind of results. 
But if you go, or if you're trying to like ramp it up really quickly, you'll quickly see that you get overwhelmed. So start with consistency first, commit to something. You know, I'm going to mail 500 postcards a week, every week for this next three months. Yep. And I'm going to look at it and I'm going to adjust before you go. All right, I'm going to go from 500 to 5,000. Make some stepped adjustments. I also, I don't know how the big boys do it, but I found out very early in my, when I send postcards, the phones are literally coming to my cell phone. I learned very quickly to do a little bit at a time. So I started um, doing like 125 to, um, I started with like 125 postcards a week. That was when I, in 2013, I started it. And I just got in this habit of whatever my list was, I would break it down by usually either four or by 12, depending on if I'm doing it like quarterly. Okay. And I would just send that many postcards or letters out every week. And if I had 3,000 names, I'd spread it out over that evenly. And that's what I got. Mm. So now we've gone from being pretty inconsistent or mailing really small numbers to like with my inherited letters, I was doing that, but I was mailing maybe 100 to 200 per week. Mm. At the most, I think I got up to the 800 per week line. But we were like, I had an assistant writing the envelopes out, printing letters on our printer and doing it all in-house. So anyway, I was in his office today. We pulled a new list. We're getting some postcards going out. I've got 1,600 of my inherited letters going out every week. Mm. And then, and that's been going on for this month. So this week is the fourth week of that. And then we're going to go back to the top of it. It's about 6,000 names. Broke it down. It was about 1,600 per week. Yep. And that's what we did. That's still what I do today. So that inherited list we're hitting, and then we're just pulled a new, we call it an empty nester list. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't pull it from where I know, I don't know what the name of that site is. You can get that from, but we kind of created our own. Yeah. Um, and I pulled that, I got about 10,000 names from that. And then I have another list and we're just going to send postcards to those lists. Yep. And um, so between Google, between my normal SEO, which I'm pretty highly ranked on, on Google already. So I get a lot of leads. I call them organic leads or free leads. Yeah. yeah. They're not necessarily free, but they, they, they don't cost like Google or, or, or postcards or anything like that. So, yep. um, so my goal there is, so I got the foundation part done. I've increased the marketing and now it's conversion time. Now it's handle the leads that come in and convert them. So next week I've already got more appointments. I and mean, I'm personally going on appointments too. I have one, two tomorrow. I had one yesterday. Um, and then I've got one, two, three, four set up for next week already for myself when I'm going to be bringing along my new acquisitions manager to train him. So, cool. yeah. So right. that's kind of how I'm going to get from where I'm at, like five to seven deals per month right now to 10. It's just, we increased everything. And then I brought on some people to help because I've discovered I can't get to 10 by myself. Yep. Dude, I, I, I love it. And guys, that's a big lesson, right? You've got to build a foundation first, have a good plan, and then do more of the things that are working. So many people when they're marketing ROI starts to take a dip on something, they actually cut it and go, like you were saying, I used to get 10X, I'm only getting three. I'm going to cut that thing. I had a conversation with a guy a week ago, really experienced guy, that exact thing. He's like, I stopped it. I go, why, man? Don't stop it. Just like get the back end of your conversion machine better. Make it so rather than closing one in 20, start to close one in 10 or 15 by building your credibility, uh, adjusting the way that you're doing your your negotiations. One of our clients, Brian Rockwell down in Dallas, he started to see a lower close ratio. He learned some things. He started to spend more time with the seller 
And he goes, man, I used to just make offers and, and get all pissed off when people didn't accept them uh, after he did his first 700K in the first year. And he's like, man, now I just spend a lot more time with the sellers and my lead to close ratio is way higher and I make more yeah. profit. So guys, shift, shift that model and get your, yourself adjusted. So a couple more questions for you, man. And this is really good stuff, guys. Go back and listen to these because it's been like, we've been piecing apart Steve's journey to build an amazing, amazing um, uh, wholesaling business, real estate business, all the way from how did he start? How did he get where he is? What's his average profit, real average cost? What are the marketing methods? How is he building his team? How is he scaling up to get over 100,000 a month? And I want to ask a couple questions around the carrot side of things. It's kind of self-serving here a little bit, man, but also help, helps us the product stuff. So you mentioned you were using WordPress before. Mm -hmm. um, Adrian had told you about carrot. Uh, he he urged, you get to, to, urged you to get over there. It took you about a year, year and a half. Kind of what, what was going in through your mind? Like why... Number one, why didn't you switch earlier? And then number two, what made you finally make the switch and give it a try? Yeah, so I didn't switch earlier. I was, it was so dumb because I think the, for at the time at least, I think the 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 lowest tiered carrot subscription was like fifty nine bucks or something like mm -hmm. that, fifty seven dollars, something like that. So it was over fifty seven dollars, Trevor. That I didn't want to make that switch. <laughs> Uh, and I was like, all right, so I was spending, you know, I had, I had the WordPress subscription and I had this and I had spent, it was a lot of the time that I spent mm -hmm. building that site, which was really, I mean, I just followed a step-by-step -step do this. I knew, I knew marketing and I knew copywriting a little bit. I had, uh, gone through some stuff, but I don't know if you know who Richard Roof is, yep. but he was yeah. a big copywriter. So I had a lot of content from him over the years mm -hmm. in this brain that I ended up using on the website, which the content, all the stuff's great the format wasn't great the you know one form that i made which was just hideously ugly it had like floating dollar signs on it like an aweber form oh it was awful <laughs> and it just didn't work so the big thing was the subscription i didn't want to take on yet another subscription which i'm sure is a common objection yep. that you get oh i don't yep. want to do this but man i mean even I think the the one I have the the most I don't want to misquote your pricing but I think it's like one hundred and fifty dollars a month now that I spend mm -hmm. and I have the 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 advanced marketer plan and so I get fresh content anytime they put new blog posts and stuff on I add them to the site and I I notice that I get leads directly from some of those articles I've seen yep. it come through it says right under where the where the traffic came from. And it's an article that I posted because of that. Mm. So I started looking at it. I'm like $150 per month. We're talking, what is that? Like $1,500 a year or yep. something? So whatever, two grand a year? I make $130,000 a year from this website. <laughs> I'm not going to spend $150 a month? I mean, it's just crazy. I love it, man. All I have to do is pay for a domain name, which is what, 10 bucks a year or something like that? Yep. I mean, it's ridiculous. I don't think I have to pay for hosting. Oh, I do. I do have to pay for hosting. Or at least I do anyway. It's just, it's just worked in your, in your monthly fee. Yeah. Okay. So I, I probably pay for, for HostGator. I probably pay for that. I don't even need it. <laughs> I've been paying for it for probably three years. And I yeah, you don't need it. If your site's on Carrot, man, like all that yeah. stuff, your Carrot stuff, get rid of HostGator. Unless you have another website right. over there. I don't think so. Maybe I, I don't know. <laughs> I got too, too much content. But no, man, it's, it was honestly, it was that 50 something dollars and it was just like, oh, I don't want to have another subscription because I had so many different things. But then I, I think the, the other switch was obviously Adrian was a huge supporter and a huge advocate for you guys um, beating that drum over and over and over. And not just to me personally, but every, everywhere he went, um, everywhere in the, in the mobster lounge, which is like our private Facebook group in the property mob, he'd be posting, hey man, you should get a carrot site, either to me or to another member. 
And he was like, man, I'm, I'm telling you. And then, I don't think he worked for you guys at that no, time. He was yeah. just like a, a supporter. He was like, no, this is the best thing out there. You should be doing this. Mm-hmm. And when I, I, I looked at a couple, I think what the kicker was, one of my competitors, you know, local guy, had it. And I was like, looked at it and I was like, man, that is really sharp. And I started scrolling through and I was like, this is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I realized it was a carrot site at first. I sent it to uh, Adrian. I go, I want my site to look like this. He goes, well, then you need to join Carrot because that's a Carrot site. I went, oh, crap. Okay. I love it. And I switched. And I'm, I'm telling you guys, I've said this on so many different forums, but literally it was the next day I could, like a light switch was turned on and I started getting those leads, quality leads that I wasn't getting before. I would get some traffic, but they wouldn't fill out my form. And the ones that did fill out the form were just not good quality leads. And it was, you know, all instantaneous. I started getting very quality leads and now it's, it's, one of our biggest uh, leads, it's our single biggest campaign, you know, because I'll do different mail campaigns. If I lumped all my direct mail in together, it might be website, but website is the one campaign that's listed that is six figures. Everything else is just under it. So, dude, I, I love it. One, one last question for you on this, and then and then uh, we'll wrap it up, buddy. Is is you probably? I mean, you're you're in masterminds, I'm sure, and you're in property mob, and especially high level. Uh, investors are probably going, well, shoot, Steve, you got a, a, an amazing business. Why don't you just take what you know now and build a custom site? Like you can build a custom site, emulate what Carrot's got, right? Build a custom site. Why, why have you chosen not to do that? I mean, I'm, I've long time been of the old, if it's not broke, don't fix it type mentality. Um, it's still working. It's still working really well. I also am in the advanced marketer thing. So any new content that they give in terms of themes or like visual updates, I get kind of first crack at. So I changed my site. Other people don't even change theirs. Do we got, got one coming too? We've got another nice. I like it. And I've got the one on mine now is like the the couple holding hands. Like yep. I don't know. I, I don't see any other carrot customers in my market that have this um, theme. It's the I the, like the hemlock. Yeah, the hemlock design. Yeah, yep, yep, the hemlock design. And it's I was just like, okay, let's see. And I, I didn't edit it. All I've done is put my logo on it and and that's really all the changes I made. I'll, I shouldn't say that. Let me take that back because I. This is funny. This took me a couple of years to discover. There is a picture on the carrot site. It goes under the. It's like under halfway down the page or so. Mm-hmm. It's a couple holding yep. a sign, like a yellow sign. It's on every carrot member site, and I see <laughs> that. And I go, "Ooh, I gotta change that." Yeah, I for sure. See it on all my competitors' sites. It took me like three years to change it. I, I literally didn't change that until I think late 2016 because the picture that I replaced it with I'm looking at right now was a house I flipped in 2016. Um, I don't think it mattered. I mean, it's crazy. It mattered to me and I noticed it, but as far as customizing my carrot site, I really didn't change very much. I changed that photo. I do have a lot of video testimonials, um, but to be honest, one, two, they're all from 2014. Yeah, like they're literally from five years ago. Nobody <laughs> knows. Nobody cares. Adrian did all this stuff for me for my website. Like he helped me out with my uh, YouTube channel and stuff too. Mm-hmm. And all these testimonials are on there. And I have five city pages. I mean, those are the customizations that I've made, which I paid Adrian to do. So I didn't even have yep. to do it. Um, and it works. You know, I, I I have thought about trying to do something more of a custom because that pull, like you said, that you know you want to stand out and you you just feel like and you have more customers in my market now than ever before i mean there's definitely multiple people in my market that have carrot sites yep we don't necessarily run into each other i don't 
I don't get a ton of that competition from like the website or yeah. saying, oh yeah, your website looks the same as Joe Schmoll over here or Steve over here or Dave over here. Mm. I don't get that. I've never had a client say that ever. Yeah. Your, your website looks the same as everybody else's. I've never once in four now years as a carrot customer. So Dude, it's, it's, it's usually, it's usually that, that internal thing. Cause you know that other people are using that tool, but I'm going to share my screen really quick, man, is it, on this right here. She brought up the, the, the allure, the pull to do some more custom stuff. And that's one thing too, that I just want to point this out to people is you can do so many cool things in the carrot site and you get the carrot tech stack. That's going to load way faster than anything else. Like uh, I'll, I'll pull this up here. There's just amazing, pretty looking site that a client of ours pointed out. And if you guys listen to this on the iTunes version, we're showing the video of this right now on the YouTube version. Go to YouTube and find us. But um, we ran a page speed test against a default carrot site and, and his that was customized, but it still could even use some improvement because of the images. And so we ran it here and it's just, the carrot stuff just absolutely demolishes most. I haven't found one yet, uh, a custom site that on the tech stack side of things beats what we had because how much we've invested into it. But then over here, this is a carrot site. You know, it's like, that's a carrot site. Doesn't look like one, but it's got the elements that make a carrot site perform really well. And that's a carrot site. Uh, this is a carrot site. And this is Bo Hollis, uh, Louisville. He does a hundred deals a year. He's really investing heavily into brand and heavily into carrot and online. That's a carrot site. Like there's so many things that y'all can do to make these stands stand out. Um, Dave Brown, this is a carrot site. You know, he did the work himself, but we do have a concierge program that can do all that work for you to really take what works great about Carrot, let you stand out. Uh, we would look at all the sites in your market, see what design they're using, see what things are they're not using and start to build in a bunch of things that just make it stand out. I'll show you one last one, dude. And this one, um, I, I have reservations even shown this one because the funny thing is we, we hear it all the time where people say, I want to make it look like Express Home Buyers as an example, right? Um, I love Brad. He's a good friend. He's been to Carrot Camp. I, I love him. And so this client, we're like, okay, we'll humor you here. And we ran tests on, on sites like that. And so this right here that I'm showing, if you're watching the YouTube or you're watching this, the YouTube version, I'll show it. Uh, Steve can see it. This is a Carrot site. Like that doesn't look like one. No. It is, right? It's a Carrot site though. It came through our concierge program where we dialed it in, grab your credibility and stuff. The funny thing is going into this, we told the client, we said, we've tested things like this before. And it's very small differences, but it didn't convert as good as our standard stuff. And they're like, I don't believe it. Well, da, da, da. So we ran a test, this versus a, um, a standard uh, page. It's kind of more like the, the one I showed before from Simply Sold. This uh, underperformed the standard page in, on our testing with this client, underperformed it. Hmm. Um, so we're switching over to the other page and that's, that's the thing is like so many people look at these national sites and look at the big boys and they think therefore that thing must be working well and it might be, um, but oftentimes they don't actually test. And so until you really do a test, until you really pull up and look at data, oftentimes you're kind of chasing you know, false flags. And so I just wanted to show that really quick because that is something that we've been doing for a while. We just haven't been doing a good job in letting people know that we do that stuff. So um, if that's something, man, uh, reach out. We'd love to work with you on it. But Steve, man, I've been pumped just following your journey as we've gone. And like I said, I appreciate uh, just connecting a couple of years ago. And it's been fun. Uh, just just the, the relationship, you, Adrian, and and uh, and and I've, I've wanted to start to build with you. And thanks for the patience on this, man. Uh, it's been on me closing the loop. And it's just really cool, man. I'm pumped, I'm pumped and I'm pulling for it to hit $100,000 a month. And you're going to do it. Um, you're going to do, you're doing the right things, building the team. That's, that's, that's kit critical. And also one thing that's really cool. that's going to happen as, as that right team starts to emerge even more is that freedom, the flexibility, you know, the finances, of course, but freedom, flexibility, uh, is going to become even more apparent to you. You know, it's like when that team, especially with the integrator in place, man, you're finally going to get to pull back and go, Oh, like 
I could take off for a month if I want to. Yeah. Business isn't just going to be here. It's likely going to be better when I get back. And I'm excited for you, man. Uh, any parting words of wisdom for people listening to this episode of the Carrot Cash just around, you know, growing a business, uh, the struggles and wins you've had, any parting words of wisdom? Yeah, man, just first of all, don't ever give up. Like you're going to, you're going to stumble. You're going to fail, fail fast and fail forward. Learn from your mistakes. So like I love, I'm a big mixed martial arts fan. So this mm -hmm. whole win or learn, you either win or you learn mentality i've learned a lot from that um you know don't don't give up and and just believe that you can do this i mean i i think i'm the best case study for anything in the world i i came from a normal blue collar neighborhood broken home whatever mm -hmm. street gangs drug dealer like i literally was bad bad dude when i was in like 17 through 20s yeah um and i learned that i could change my life and i had control of it so I don't have like a bunch of education. I didn't come from money. I didn't have a bunch of resources. I still figured this out. I'm still, you know, we have a decent house. We live comfortably. My wife doesn't work. We have five kids all homeschool. We, we, I take care of my family. I support my family. I'm sure I have big goals and I want to do better and all that kind of stuff. I'm not meeting where I want to be. But when I look back at where I was or where I could be, I mean, I, I probably should be in prison or dead. And if not, I probably would be working like a title company job making, I think the most I ever made at a title company was $38,000 a year. Yeah, I've done wholesale deals where I've made more money than that. So, you know, <laughs> believe in yourself and that you can do this and just don't give up. Find, find someone that speaks to you, um, that you can connect with, whether it's online or in your market, that you can either hustle and work for and, and basically trade experience for, uh, training in a sense where you bring value to them. That I guess that's the last thing as I'll say is go into it looking to give, not to get. Like provide value and you will get so much more value in return in the long run than you put in. It's just you have to come at it from the right place and you got to give. Um, be a go-giver, they say. I think you even said that a lot before yeah. is you got to use, you know, provide value and and come at it from that place of I'm gonna give this person, I want to make myself valuable to this person and then use that as, as a fuel to learn and gather as much as you can. And uh, you know, you can do it. It doesn't matter like what market you're in, where you're from, find someone that speaks to you and that you kind of, you know, get along. There's so many different people in this, in this industry and, and that are coaches and all that kind of stuff. You might have one person who's not your personality type and you might have me on the other spectrum of that. And you're like, man, that guy's crazy. I don't want to be coached <laughs> by him. He's too hardcore. And yeah. I don't think I've cussed once on this entire call, which that's you got, haven't, man. You that's haven't. That's got to be a record. Good. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but yeah, you know, don't give up and, and just find who, what works for you or speaks to you mm. and go get it, man. Just go get it. I, I love it, Steve, man. I'm, I'm just honored to have you on, on the podcast. Hopefully we can meet in person someday, get you out to care camp, man. That'd be amazing hanging out with you. And everybody take the advice that Steve gave you. If you're a starting investor, dig into his story, dig into the steps he made to find the mentor and to find the belief and to do the things and, and dig into those steps. It's going to help you succeed. If you're an experienced investor, dig into the steps he's talking about, building the team, uh, optimizing those points that are working, setting bigger goals, start to go after those things. He's got something for everybody. And guys and guys, we'd love to work with you. If, if there's a chance to work with you on the carrot side, if you're already on carrot, leverage the things that Steve's talking about, get the advanced marketer plan, use the design that's different from others, get some credibility. He's got amazing testimonies up on his site, get some credibility up there. But everybody, have an amazing, amazing rest of the week. Uh, so, so, so uh, just, just honored to be able to spend some time with you guys. And Steve, thank you, man.
Thanks, man. I really appreciate you having me. It's been an honor to be here. And I look forward to meeting you too at one of the next Carrot Camps for sure. Sweet. I love it. Thanks, everyone. Have an amazing rest of the day.